Well, guys, welcome to Reload this morning. It's uh, exciting to be here. Of course, at my age, it's exciting to be anywhere. So, so guys, this is a great morning. Um, Holy Spirit is called an audible this morning. Um, Pastor Jesse just had a great message called Beyond the Walls that we're planning to discuss. We're not sure how much time we're going to have to discuss it this morning because uh, I'm going to turn things over to Pastor Bernie, but we're going to talk about how we can go beyond the walls in a specific way. Pastor Bernie oversees our missions team and, and department, and uh, we've got somebody in town. I often say you can't make this stuff up, but uh, Mr. Pat Bradley's here, and uh, Pastor Bernie will introduce him. So I'm going to turn things over to Pastor Bernie, and then I'm going to grab another mic for Pat. Well, great to see everyone. As he said, I'm Pastor Bernie Blaukamp, and uh, I oversee missions among a whole bunch of other things around here, but missions is really what makes me get up in the morning. And uh, I'm privileged to say that I've been doing this for 35 years, and in those 35 years, we have, we have been able to sow over $60 million into world missions through this church. Through this church, two and a half million dollars a year is what we average lately, and uh, we're hoping to expand that and uh, just keep doing great things for Jesus all over the world. Uh, in the last year, we've we've been privileged to be part of rescuing 2,987 people out of Afghanistan that would have been killed, and they're in refugee camps right now in Pakistan, and we're feeding them every day. We're our church, you are paying for their food, for blankets, for, for Bibles, for audio Bibles. We're, we're taking care of them. There's been hundreds who have gotten saved since they were in those camps. They've been baptized, healed. Blind eyes have been opened. Cysts have disappeared. Amazing things have happened in those camps. While they were, while they were on hit lists with the Taliban, they were set free because through a channel of events, we were able to help rescue them. And uh, so that's one of the things. But one of the other things, the thing that we're going to talk about today is we're able to help Pat. This is Pat Bradley, my friend of 20, uh, no, 19 years. I guess it's fair to say it was 2002, the first time that we met. Uh, that, um, so the 20 years we've been friends, but we've been supporting their ministry now for 17 years. Um, and they go all over the world. I won't tell what he does because let him tell that because he's better at it than me. But uh, one of the things that caught me about Pat is he is a former alcoholic. His wife divorced him, and he's not ashamed of that. He's not happy about it, but he doesn't cover it up. He's a former alcoholic. His wife divorced him. Then he got saved. His wife remarried him, and he sold beer for a living. Okay, that was his job. He was the nicest beer salesman you ever met. And then God called a regular guy to go change the world. Wouldn't you say that's true? Oh, very true, yes. I, when I first met him, I thought he was Captain America or some kind of superhero. Then I got to know him and I realized, wow, he's just a normal guy. But God uses normal guys like us. I'm just a normal guy too. Talk to my wife. She'll tell you I'm kind of a knucklehead sometimes. I don't try to be. It just comes natural. Anybody ever relate to that? But 
you know what? God still uses us. He uses imperfect uh, vessels. I always, one of the things that I say a lot is God does not call the qualified because they're too busy thinking about how qualified they are. But he qualifies the called. See, so if you're called, God will qualify you. Don't worry about it. He'll, he'll make it so that it works. Um, and if you think you're qualified, um, I, I, I'll pray for you. Because uh, you ain't qualified to do what God has called you to do. Uh, it's bigger than you. So um, this morning, 2 a.m., God woke me up and said, read Pat's book. This is Pat's book. I read it from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. this morning. Okay? I couldn't put it down. I, he said, it didn't put you to sleep. I said, are you kidding? I won't sleep for days after reading this book. And I'm going to tell every one of you, you need to go on Amazon and buy Born for Rescue by Pat Bradley. It's not an epic novel. It's not, it seems a little bit like Indiana Jones, but it's not because he's just a normal guy and he doesn't have a bullwhip. So it's not Indiana Jones, but it's a lot like that. There's adventures in here. There's, it'll make you cry. It'll make you, it'll challenge you. And um, I would just say that is, get this book and read it because it will, it was, it's worth the read. They also sell all O Coffee. O Coffee is what we brew, what we brew here at Res Life. Now, unfortunately, I don't think you drank it this morning, but it's, it's really good. So they grow this. Pat, tell me a little bit about, you were, you had your own advertising agency in St. Louis, Missouri. Anheuser-Busch was your number one customer, right? Your number one client. That is correct. That's how I actually, how I sold beer was through the marketing advertising. So you, you were the guy that does the Clydesdales. Uh, we did, yeah, we were involved with some of that. And like, the, I don't know if you remember a long time ago, the frogs. The Budweiser. Yeah. That so was him. We had a blast. I had this marketing advertising agency. There was four partners and myself. And uh, AB was my main client. And I mean, for 35 years, I look forward to getting up every day and going to work because it was so much fun. And then you went to Afghanistan and experienced some pretty crazy stuff in Pakistan and yeah, some other third yeah. world countries. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, actually my very first mission trip um, was not my first mission trip, but in the year of 2000, I was on a board of organization that dealt with Christian persecution and we got these reports from South Sudan of the genocide and so we went and first to see firsthand what was actually going on on the ground and what I saw there literally changed my life and I could not get it out of my mind and um, that was the birth of crisis aid is what it is today and so I'm a marketing I was a marketing guy advertising a wife two kids uh, kids in high school just a normal person and God just touched my heart in Sudan and and I came back and I didn't really know what to do I knew I wanted to do something and so that was in February and September I went back to South Sudan and with a couple other guys and um, we started off with a two-pound bag of rice to feed 4,000 people. And that was how Crisis Aid started. I honestly went not knowing exactly how to make this stuff work. But God showed us every step of the way. And he always will. And that's absolutely right. And what I've learned is that God is just looking for us to just get up and say yes. Okay? Like Bernie said, we, we as Christians have been called because we are Christians. When you gave your life to Christ, you received a calling. Because Jesus said, whatsoever you do for the least of these, you do for me. 
whatsoever you do for the least of me, of these, you do for me. He's not telling you what to do. He gave a few examples in the verses before, visit the sick, clothe the naked, um, feed the hungry. But he said, whatever you do, you're doing it for me. That can be your calling. And, just, and, start, and you can start by looking at the person next to you or the person you work with or your neighbor or someone else. But I just want to, what I want to do is encourage you to reach out to someone that's outside of your family and see what God does. And I promise you, God will meet you there and he will show you every single step. But you have to be willing to take those steps. Tell me about the first time that you came in contact with the red light district in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Okay. <laughs> so we, uh, we had been working in Ethiopia, what was that, 2003 we started. You'd been feeding people, but then you yes. discovered this other huge need. Yes. Um, I, let me just quickly, like Christ say, we've got a lot of different kinds of programs. Um, we very much involved in human trafficking. Uh, we've got a big food program in Ethiopia. We're feeding about 10,000. Every month we have an orphanage. We have two pediatric hospitals we built. Uh, we have a big work in the red light districts in Ethiopia. And so it was December of 2006, and we were standing talking to this guy who had a ministry to street kids. And I heard this voice. I just heard this voice say, ask him about prostitution. I'm like, that's kind of crazy. I didn't, you know, I just, and if you read the book, you'll kind of understand the progression. But I knew it was God, but I chose to kind of like ignore it. And, and it came back a couple of minutes later, like ask him about prostitution. So I just blurted it out, say, can you tell me about prostitution? And he's in the middle of telling me about his ministry with street children. And he gave me this funny look. And so he starts telling me about this red light district. And he gets about halfway through and I said, hey, can you take us there tonight? And, and my brain's going, what is wrong with you? I mean, what is wrong with you? And he said, sure, if you want to go. And so um, I went back to my hotel room and called my wife, and, and uh, we were leaving the next day. And so she said, well, what are you doing tonight? And I said, well, we're going to go hang out with the prostitutes in the red light district. <laughs> and she goes, pardon me? <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. She goes, no, no, I kind of understand what you're saying. So she knew I was crazy by that point. And uh, so we went down there, and we were walking through this red light district, and, and they tell us we were the first white people to ever go into this area, and I believe them because it is so dark, so disgusting. It was, if there was no God, this is what the world would look like. And I've been in many, many places, and few places could rival the depravity, the, the awfulness of this place. And so we were walking, and your senses are just totally blown away. And we saw these five girls, and so we started a conversation with them. And we had a translator. And we were gathering a crowd, as we would. And um, so we asked, could we go in one of your rooms or something just so we can? Because our message to them is simple. It's God's got a better plan for your life. Do you want to hear about it? Amen. And they all, almost all of them say yes. And so we went in the room. But as we were walking in, I turned around and saw this little girl walking down the, like, down the alley. Nobody knew her. I didn't know. I mean, I asked our translator, hey, invite her in, invite her in. So she came over, she came in. She didn't know the other five girls. So we start talking to them and just tell them God has a better plan for their life. Um, I didn't know what it was. I didn't make any promises. I have no promises for you, but I know God loves you so much, and he wants your heart. And we talked to them about Jesus. And so we led them to the Lord that night, all six girls. We led them to the Lord. But the one girl, the stranger, God had me just like lasered in on her. And I just started 
speaking things from the Bible to her. And I'd, I'd have to sit down and think about what I said to her. But then I heard this voice say, baptize her. I'm like, once again, I'm like, you're crazy. I'm not hearing that. <laughs> and then I heard about, about a minute later, baptize her now. Okay, so there's no running water. So I sent somebody to got, we found a pot. They got water. We went outside. I made her bend over. I poured it over her head. And I, I don't know what I said. All I remember is I closed it by saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in my brain going, I don't know if that even took. I don't even know if I said the right things. But when this girl stood up, she had this smile that lit up the alley. There was a physical transformation because the spirit of the living God, Jesus entered into her life and changed her, boom, like that. And people were standing around and everyone saw it, knew something changed, but they didn't understand it. I barely understood it. But it was amazing. She was the very first girl we ever rescued out of a red light district. And so to finish the story, she smiled. And the next thing that came out of my mouth before I realized it, I said, can you leave here tonight? And the back of my head is going, here you go again. You, what are you going to do? <laughs> I have this back and forth argument, A, B side of my brain. Anyway, um, she said, yeah. I said, what well, is your pimp here? You're, she said, my owner is not around. And froze me, my owner. Here's a little girl, 16 years old. My owner is not here tonight. Whew. Okay, can you go get your stuff and come back? She said, yeah, so she came back. 10 minutes later with the uh, shopping bag that had all her worldly possessions. So as we're walking out of this red light district, to, we had a van to take her. I'm thinking in my, in, my, in my head, I'm going like, what in the world are we gonna do with this girl? I had no idea, no, I, we had no plans, nothing. And uh, so we found a little office area, and we made a little bedroom for her. But she was the very first girl. And her name was Yodit. And Yodit said yes. And that yes, I say this, birth is, is one of the things that birthed the whole human trafficking movement. Because back in December of 2006, in America, the word sex trafficking didn't exist. When we started talking about it, people were like, what are you talking about? This one girl said yes, and to date, so far, we've helped over 3,000 girls. If Yoda wouldn't have said yes, I'd have gone no further. It would have stopped right there, and we'd have just went on. But Yoda said yes, and then incredible things have happened. And I want to encourage you. All you've got to do is I, I'm going to say you got to do two things. You have to first develop the mindset, I refuse to do nothing, and then just look at God and say yes. Just say yes, have a blank piece of paper, you fill it out, Lord, I'm not, this is your plan, not my plan, I just say yes to it. And then take the next logical step that comes to your mind. And you, you don't know what God is gonna do. I had no idea, we walked out with one girl, didn't know what to do with her, and now we've got this house of hope that we're going to be opening in the future here in Grand Rapids to help girls who are victims of trafficking. And you know what? How many here have a daughter? Can you raise your hand if you got a daughter? Okay, if your hand is not raised, do you have a niece? Do you have a neighbor that's got a young girl, a daughter? Okay, 99.9% .9 of this room raised their hand. Human trafficking affects you. It affects you in ways that you may not even be aware of. You all help us, we, now we have a CAP office, a chance in, Saint, uh, in Grand Rapids stands for Child Anti-Exploitation Program.
And what we're doing now is we're catching girls and boys before the traffickers land them and get them in their hands. We're now getting them beforehand. So explain that. When, when someone is being targeted to be groomed to be trafficked, that's, that usually happens online. Yes. And there's an there's a agency called ICAC, which is Internet Crimes Against Children. We have an office here in Grand Rapids. I actually have a young man that I know that works there. And uh, otherwise, it's law enforcement. And they intercept these messages, and they pinpoint or they, they see who's being targeted. And then they intervene and bring them to the CAP office. Alice is our advocate. Mm -hmm. It's in Wyoming Police Department. This church funds it 100%. So you guys fund it. And we, so far this year, we've helped 165. 165 girls not get abused and trafficked. See, you could see, see, you went and you saw the red light district. And I'm sure, because I know you, the reason Pat and I are closest, we're both blubbering people. We cry every time we see awful things happen. And I'm sure you cried. I'm positive. I wasn't there, but I'm positive you cried because you told me about it and I cried. So you can cry and you can say, I'm going to tell somebody about this. I'm going to make raise awareness. And raising awareness is awesome. But what about helping somebody? Not just raising awareness. See? So the CAP program is helping people. We're intervening with law enforcement and getting in the middle between the traffickers and the girls, and we're able to, to help their parents see. Your nine-year-old is being groomed by a 42-year-old pedophile. That's reality, right? Very true. Your eight-year-old has shown her private parts on camera to a grown man that she thought was a 12-year-old. That stuff happens, friends. It happens today. It happens in West Michigan. The average girl that gets trafficked gets raped 7,000 times and lives no more than typically seven years and usually dies by suicide. That's horrible, but you know what? That's not okay. It's not okay, but it's horrible. We can do something, and you guys are doing something. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be real transparent because we're in a fight for lives of children, children, kids. We're in a fight for their lives, and one thing you can do to help is to support this home and this CAP program here at your church because we want to not just have one CAP office. We want to have three, four, five CAP offices in this region in Western Michigan. And do you know why I want five CAP offices? Bernie knows, because it works. Because we're getting kids, we're stopping the predators in their tracks. And what we're learning, what we're learning now, the doors are opening to new areas. We're, we're not only dealing with girls and boys who are very high risk of being trafficked. Now we're starting to see kids who are being sexually abused by their families, by their parents. They're not in danger of being trafficked. They're just getting raped every day by an uncle, a neighbor, a parent, or someone. So they fall completely off the radar screen. But you know what? God saw them. God sees them when they're being raped and they're nine years old. And God opened our eyes and said, what are you going to do? And we said, we're going to expand the CAP program. 
We're not going to just deal with kids that are victims. Why should I stop the kids that are potential victims when God's shown me, showing us a whole new group that need him and need us and need you? That's, gonna, that's happening in St. Louis. That's going to happen here. We know Cap it's going to happen. already here. happening, and yeah. the house is being planned. We're scheduled to break ground next summer. We're in the throes of architects and engineers and city planners and all that right now. Um, the current cost estimates are about $7.5 million. I know that sounds like a lot of money, but if it was your daughter, you'd spend it. And it's nobody's wasting any money on, on the cost of the house. I've had numerous people say, well, that seems like an awful lot of money. That's not a good bang for your buck. And I refrained from slapping the person. <clears throat> bang for your buck. Go sell widgets if you want bang for, a, for your buck. These are people. God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten son. He thought you were worth it. You know what? They're worth it too. And this is not an extravagant um, proposition. It's a high quality. It's similar to a mental health facility. Um, it's got to be locked down. It's got to have all the, the proper uh, construction issues. We're bound by all the regulations of state and federal because we're housing minors. So there's all kinds of regulations that are just beyond description for my brain. And uh, so it costs a tremendous amount of money to do this. But you know what? If it was your daughter, you'd say, help her. It doesn't matter how much it costs. And that's what I want you to think about when we're talking about this house. You're right. It's not a, it's not a matter of money. I mean, we do, yeah, sure, we do need the money. But, I mean, what we should be thinking of is, like you said, Bernie, it's not about $7 million. It's how many girls are going to get a chance to live the life that God created them to have when they were born. And without this home those girls that go in there would never, never have that chance. And you've had the house in St. Louis. You were approached and asked to build this program, correct? Correct. By, by, the, by who? The FBI contacted us in 2007. Um, they saw what we were doing globally, and, and they had a program called the Innoc Lost in Innocence Initiative, and they were get rescuing girls and they were minors and he had nowhere to take them so they had to put them in jail. And so they just got tired of it and they f somehow found us and um, called us. We had a meeting in St. Louis with the Reg Eastern Division or whatever, big shot. Uh, supposed to last 45 minutes, lasted two and a half hours and then that led to a meeting in Washington, D.C. And that's how we ended up opening our home in, um, in the United States, our first home, so. And this home on this property will be the second home Mm -hmm. It'll have 20 apartments where the girls can live. Then it'll be a program of about 12 months to 18, maybe 24, and then we'll have transitional housing. Talk to me about the success of the program in Ethiopia and how the, the what the graduates are, what they're doing, and what your like your. I don't want to get crass with numbers, but almost all of them don't go back into the brothel, right? Correct. We have an 87% uh, <clears throat> success rate of girls between our homes and our what we call Mercy Chapel. So we had eight homes at one time and they had eight to ten girls in there and it, rents in, in real estate in Ethiopia just went through the roof. So our goal, our vision is to get 15,000 girls out of this red light district and so we start thinking about we gotta, we gotta see, we need other, need other options besides homes. So 
we dreamed up this vocational training school and we thought we'd call it Mercy Chapel. And um, so we went looking for a facility and all we could find was a brothel in the middle of the red light district that we could buy. And so we bought it. And we turned that into a vocational training school, a church, and a counseling center. And we've had now 10 years, and we just had our last graduation in October. You know, 54 girls graduated. It was our smallest class. But we had over 800 girls come out of that Mercy Chapel program. 90% are, when they leave, they go to a full-time job because we have an internship program built in for the last 30 days. And they work with employers that usually they they um, end up getting hired by the employer, so. And then in our homes, oof, I know it's over a thousand. I mean, if you take Mercy Chapel and, and the girls' homes, it's well over a thousand girls that have been helped just in Ethiopia. So the similar type of program is what we're gonna be, and, and Crisis Aid is gonna be running the home. Res Life is not equipped to run the home. All we're gonna do is build it and we're gonna lease it to Crisis Aid for $1 a year. So we're going to get rich off that, right? One dollar a year. And then Crisis Aid is going to, all the employees will be Crisis Aid employees, all their therapists, all the RNs, everybody will be Crisis Aid employees. They will run the house completely. It's their ministry, but we are simply providing them a venue to operate that home. So our role, because somebody said, what makes you think you're qualified to run a home? Uh, I'm not qualified. I know that but I know some people who have experience and who will, will do it, so. Yeah, I mean, this is really a joint partnership. It's not just a, I mean, this is a res life. We, we look at it in our office at St. Louis when we're, we're meetings, we call it the res life home, but I know it's called the house of hope, but we call it the res life. That's how much we see it really belongs to you and it's a partnership. We just happen to provide the expertise in one area, but our goal in this home is that this become a world-class home that, the, that others come to see and model into the future of what can be done. And um, we want this home to be the absolute best that there is because we will have total control. Together we have total control of what happens with the girls and it can all be Christ-centered. And I, could, I can tell you this, we can take a girl who's been horribly trafficked and you can put her in a counseling or in therapy program for years and years and years and she can get to a point where she just can live her life, but she isn't thriving. Only, only the love of God in that woman's heart, that girl's heart, can change her so that she can thrive and live the life that God intended. And there's other programs around the country doing great work, but if they don't have the Christian element, I say it's a waste of time, energy, and money because you're not changing the life of the girl from deep, deep inside where it must happen. Think of the girl that you poured water over her head and it transformed her life. Yeah. <laughs> Just because she said yes to Jesus. Yeah. How much time? We're almost out of time. We got about five minutes. Um, as you look at, for apply it to our lives, you said it earlier, basically, God takes the foolish things of this world and confounds the wise. That's what scripture said. And God's take, you're, you're, you're a special guy to me, but you're not a special guy as far as gifts and talents and everything else. And yet God used you in all this amazing, all these amazing ways. What is the secret? It's not a secret, but what's the key to that? What is it? The key really is, is uh, two things. 
in your heart, you just have to say whatever you want of me, Lord. And then you need to connect your brain to it. Just your heart, God, yes. My brain, okay, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. Say yes. Just say yes. And, and, let me. Go, go ahead, go. Refuse to do nothing. Amen. It's really that simple. It truly is. When you see somebody suffering, don't be like the Levite that went like this and walked on the other side of the road or the high priest that went like this and didn't want to see it. Don't be like that guy. Be like the Samaritan who stopped. It cost him money. It cost him time. And it cost him, he had to take a risk. You look at the good Samaritan. He, it cost him time. He had to go out of his way. It cost him money. Here's two days wages and I'll pay the rest if I, when I come back through. And it took him risk. Because if they stopped and beat up that guy and left him naked, who's saying they're not in the bushes waiting to beat me up when I stop and help him? He had to take a risk. Every time you see somebody suffering, you have to understand, it's going to cost you time, it's going to cost you money, and it's going to cost you risk. Is it worth it? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> it's worth it. I mean, because you'll meet God on a level you've never had done. You've never, you'll experience God on a level you never have before. I can promise you that. So, Pat, promise you've you. inspired me for a lot of years, but and these people have heard it, and they all thought I made it up, but I got <laughs> it from you. And that is, you know what? I may not know what to do, but I refuse to do nothing. And that's got to be our mantra that says, listen, I may not know what to do. I don't even know what comes next, but I'm going to do something because I cannot sit here and do nothing while this crazy stuff is going on in my backyard. In Grand Rapids, there's girls being trafficked right now. There was a little girl picked up just last week in downtown Grand Rapids, and she was huddled in the back of a car. Somebody found her, and they, they called the police, and they rescued her. She was being trafficked. She's nine years old, okay? There was 50 girls found in Wayland in a brothel. Wayland, less than 40 miles away, 50 of them. They were being trafficked out of some farmhouses down there in Wayland. This is in the paper. You can look it up. I'm not making this up. March of this year, 50 girls were apprehended, and they were being trafficked in Wayland, Michigan. This is in our backyard, people. It's our generation. We're responsible for our generation. We aren't responsible for the past. We aren't responsible necessarily completely for the future. But we are responsible before God for this generation. And that's, that's a sobering thought. Pat, do you got anything to add to that? I mean, I pretty much just slapped everybody. Amen. Sorry about that, no. guys. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, it is good. And then I guess the last thing that I want to say is that I think, you know, we hear a lot about waiting on God, but I... This is my own personal belief. I think God's waiting on us a lot more than we are waiting on him. He's waiting for us to take that next step. Is your book available on Amazon? Amazon.com, Born for Rescue. Okay. If you read that book, I guarantee you, you'll get fired up and want to do something. All right? Tom, where are you? Where did he go? You're supposed to close this up. How do you want me to close? Because we got to get these guys to work. They got to make some money. All right. You want me to close in prayer? All right. Father, we're just so grateful that you love us. We're so grateful that Jesus 
is your son and he was born in this month. We celebrate Advent, that the arrival of the Messiah. We celebrate that today your ultimate gift and your ultimate sacrifice was given for the salvation of all mankind. And Lord, we just know that you have a purpose and you have a plan. Just like you had a purpose and a plan for Jesus when he came here as a little baby, he didn't really, in his natural person, he didn't know what to do. He didn't come out of the womb um, healing the sick. Lord, he grew up and he grew in stature and wisdom and favor with God and man. And Lord, I thank you that each man in this room and each person listening, that they have your favor on their life and they're growing in favor and they're growing in their, in their relationship with you and their relationships with others. And Father, there's a plan and a purpose for each and every life. And Father, we ask that you would cause that purpose to explode on the inside of them. Father, let that purpose just become an irresistible urge to do something great for you. I said over my sons for years and years and years, I told them that they were world changers and history makers and that they were going to do something great for God. And I would say that over you guys, all you men, that you're world shakers, you're history makers, and you're called to do great things for God. And maybe that great thing is stopping and helping your neighbor. Maybe that great thing is helping rescue a girl from being tormented. Maybe that great thing is some other thing. But you are called for great things. You're called to greatness. You're not called to mediocrity. I thank you, Father, that each person here, as we go out, that they would be encouraged and, and inspired to do something for you and just to refuse to do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen.